Hey guys, welcome to the Leadership to Wealth podcast. On today's show, we have a mentor, a coach. He helps people build businesses that make a lot of money with Amazon. One of the things that he's realized is having a market right there that you don't need to search for and teaching you how to build, how to brand, how to do all of these things within that Amazon network. But on top of that, he also talks about life and how he got into multiple businesses and all the failures along the way, which are invaluable to our journey to each one of us as we build leadership in our own lives to wealth. Today's show, Neil Twa. All right. So thank you guys for joining us today on Leadership to Wealth podcast. And on today's show, we have uh, with us Neil Twa, the man who uh, helps people and has been helping people since 2007 to build businesses, uh, especially in e-commerce. Neil, so glad to have you on the Neil and Neil show today. The Neil and Neil show. Woohoo! Yeah, it's great to be here. <laughs> As we were in the green room a minute ago, I apologize for any brain fog I might bring to this conversation today. So if I if I pause, it's my it's not the internet out here in the country. It's probably me trying to catch up. <laughs> yeah. So you're uh, and and you're recovering from uh, you you actually caught the uh, yeah the thing that no one knows for sure if it's real or not, but you got it. It's like the Harry Potter thing. It's the name that shall now be mentioned right um so we are yeah it's that that thing that you shall not say uh yeah. yeah but we're okay we're doing all right i have a family of six and i got four young children uh, 13 and under girls all girls wow. um and we walked through it just fine we're coming through the last stages of it and, they, and one of the things we were joking about was the brain fog component of it um or you know or do we feel that a little bit and i think yeah before you brought it up i wouldn't have been able to say that but i think now yeah there's a little brain fog going on <laughs> yeah yeah wow okay that's interesting now um I, I COVID's always a hot topic, but oh, yeah. you got four girls. I do. <laughs> That's I do. That sounds a whole lot more nervous. devastating than <laughs> people with one or two daughters are like, are you insane? <laughs> I mean, well, I, I got four kids as well, but I got two girls and then two boys. And uh yeah. I can't imagine um living in a house with five uh five girls. That's yeah, uh, I couldn't imagine living in a house with five boys. So I, and I have friends who have all yeah. boys and you know we yeah. play that game a lot. They're like, I can't believe you have all girls. And I'm like, I don't have any idea. Like I, I'm but I'm not like a, a girly guy. I'm not the metro I live in the country, man. I shoot squirrels off my deck. I have tractors and I live on 40 acres and you know, my girls are country girls and they like to jokingly be that because they've yeah. done judo, they they help me chop wood, they take care of their chores. They're tougher than some of the boys. Awesome uh that's that we hang awesome. around which kind of makes dad proud of course <laughs> yeah listen i love that 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 is um uh that is pretty cool especially when as a as a dad right yeah. uh, having two girls I, I can say that that is pretty uh it is pretty fulfilling when you can see them uh take up some of these things and and yeah, uh, even succeed in, in and challenge places, them absolutely right? yeah. yeah absolutely yeah. um i'm my uh one of my daughters was uh big into gymnastics for a while and uh um you know i feminine male whatever any, any of that kind of stuff for me i just loved i just love watching any of my kids compete yeah absolutely right, right. It, it, like that's the male gene in there you, you just is. love it watching is. them compete and uh, she would always do this thing when she would <laughs> just before she was about to start she she would get up and she would uh look at the apparatus she'd about to go to she was smiling a second ago and yeah. that just would disappear and it looked like a killer like killer, staring killer at the apparatus that yeah she's about to go attack and then she turns to the judges and smiles puts her hands up and i was like oh my goodness i actually secretly named her a serial, serial killer for a while um oh that's and, awesome but as a father as a, a father pretty proud moment to see some of those yeah some of those things and you said your your daughters did some judo there too right yeah yeah they were and it's fun to see which ones are most uh apt uh, to do it the, the two middle weren't quite as excited the older girl and the younger girl were just like i mean 
my 13 year old is extremely strong for, for a girl and the younger one just doesn't know her own strength and, and tenacity yet. And so she broke her collarbone in the process of doing it because she just went in and went all full. And the younger boys that were trying to compete with her were getting torqued off because she kept flipping them and <laughs> taking and dad's like, yeah, you know, she just all in. And, and of course, you know, mom had to give a pause because when she broke her collarbone, right. she's just like, OK, well, you know, you know, we can't put them and they're not boys. And I'm like, well, I know that. <laughs> No, actually, they're in judo. They're better off than boys because they've got a lower center of gravity. They'd be able to exactly. Exactly. At six foot four, man, I'm like the big tree in Sequoia that will like fall and kill everything on its way down. It's like ah, it's a long way for me to hit the ground on the mat from six foot four. So yeah, shorter shorter is better when it comes to that. A lot less distance to fall. Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah, uh, what's it? The the fulcrum or whatever. <laughs> yes. Okay. Yes. So, Okay, so let, let's step back for the right. viewers here. Um, let, let's go back one step. And and what we're going to start with is uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Where where are you from? Grew yeah. up? All that kind of stuff. Uh, now, yeah. now we know you got uh, six in the family, four girls. Yeah. Uh, so you're a little psychotic, but... Uh, yeah, so definitely psychotic. Like, wait to hear the rest a little of bit the about story. before that happened. <laughs> Well, I mean, technically, I am uh, from Missouri. Um, I was uh, born in uh, northern Missouri, a place called Independence. Um, but when I was two, my parents moved to Arizona. And by the time I was three, we ended up in Oregon. So from the age three uh, until I graduated high school, um, that's where I grew up. Um, I grew up in the uh, cul-de-sac, uh, but we would go out all the time uh, from the little town there called Medford in southern Oregon uh, and be out all the time in the country somewhere. Uh, you know, it was an hour to 300, 600 inches of snow. There was things to play in. There was skiing. There was uh, snowmobiling and there was cross country and there was dog sleds and there was, you know, outdoor camping and just, you know, a, a lot of stuff to do. So I really enjoyed growing up in Oregon uh, and it was a really cool place to be. But um, by the time I got to uh, about 17, 18, when I graduated, because um, of my birthday, I actually uh, turned 18 in February and graduated in May. So I was on that side of things. Uh, but I had an opportunity for a music scholarship um, for a liberal arts college out in Iowa uh, that picked me up. Uh, so for classical and jazz, I had had um, some good uh, time in, in high school and went all state and, and got a good amount of scholarships put together and went to wow. um, school. What, so I thought I was going to be play? a musician. No, oh, trumpet. Yeah, no, I played trumpet, classical and jazz. Oh, um, nice. Yep. And so I very much enjoyed that. It's uh, that competitive edge was always about being first chair and the trumpets were always kind of the dominant force in the orchestra, whether people don't know that there's like the, you know, hierarchical, it's like a mafia, but there's levels to it, right? You know, like the drummers are the bagmen, and you got the, you know, it's that guy. So um, I definitely love the trumpet component of it and loved music and music was flexibility and creation. And while I liked the, the ability to be in flow with the orchestra, I very much appreciated the jazz more than anything. Yeah. Uh, the flexibility, the creativity, the artisticness of it, the fact that you could yeah. just um, feel the music and go with it uh, was a big component of what I very much enjoyed about it. I think more than I enjoyed the concept of even working in it or making it a career. Uh, right. So by the time I got to my third year in college, I realized, um, as I like to joke, that if I didn't figure my life out, I was going to be living in a van down by the river, um, playing jazz to the to the you know, fish. So I better figure out what to do. Uh, so I jumped into um, computers and science, and I got a work study job at the at the local. You know, Whoa, computer hang science on, work. that's a, that's a big of a bit yeah, of a jump that, that you right? just went. You just went from playing the trumpet to yep. uh, to jumping over to computers. Yeah, well, I mean, they were online. I, I'm not that old, but here comes computers, right? Here's the internet. Here's 3.1, and then there was up to Windows 95, and it was like, you know, what? What is this? Like, this is insane. This is cool. And the university yeah. had the money, and nobody else had computers. And so uh, I got a, a position to go to the work study group and moved over uh, to that in the uh, computer lab where they were doing that, and we were learning how to do it along with the people that worked there because no one knew what the hell they were doing. Right. And we all learned on the job, if you will. Uh, so for $4.25 an hour, <laughs> when I wasn't in school or playing jazz, I was learning how to do computers. And they say, do computers. Yeah. Um, because everybody was. So yeah, as I got through that, I realized I had an aptitude for it. And I had a passion for the for the machines and what they could do. And the idea of the internet and the technology that was coming mm -hmm. um, seemed just absolutely fascinating. And when I put my first web page up, that's when I realized I was going to really want to do this business. Uh, of online somehow. And it was a bargain guy's website. It was like an eBay for local university trades. And we were just putting people together to sell their things 
back and forth at the local. Yeah. And I, I realized e-com at that level was a good starting block. And I really wanted to know more. Um, but the university said, hey, computer science is um, uh, COBOL, Fortran, and yeah. suicide. And I'm like, I don't want to live on the green screen for the rest of my life. Are you kidding me? Uh, so they said, well, you know, go transfer to a university called CMSU in Warrensburg, which has a very good computer science department. I said, OK, uh, I spent a semester there uh, and that's when I dropped out because uh, I met a dude from uh, who was consulting as, a, as a, uh, an engineer and a, a, a programmer out of Kansas City. And he said, you know, I'm making like 60 bucks an hour. I'm programming these new technologies called active server pages. And we're using HTML and all this stuff, which to us now is like old school. But for that, it was like brand new. And I'm like, tell me more about what all that is. Yeah. And he said, well, you're not going to learn it here, but you need to get out and go learn it in the workforce. Um, and I took that advice. So I jumped out and instead of paying, you know, 20 grand a year, I went and got an $18,000 a year job. Uh, and just started to teach myself the rest of the computers, the programming uh, for web interfaces and active surfer pages, which really led me into the business side of it and really understanding how to make money uh, with those. But I knew that it was still so new to the world that there wasn't a curriculum, a track or something I could go do. Uh, I had to continue to evolve in the corporate world. And so mm -hmm. I followed that track and um, that led me into... Were you, were you not were you not scared uh leaving school and jumping straight into that no because i mean i went from paying money to making money um <laughs> it wasn't right. that fair it was like i went into a job uh where i was making you know 17 bucks an hour um and i'm like okay that's great and i was working on networking computers inside of banks and so i was learning you know how to do do the business and, and it was a small firm and so i got to learn a lot of the components of the business yeah. Uh, and understanding how he ran this little shop. Um, so no, I, I, I wasn't really scared. I, I'd like to, my partner of nine years now in business knows very much that my job is to jump off the cliff, even if I have no parachute. And he has now learned to jump with me, but take all the materials necessary to build a parachute on the way down. Uh, and so I don't have that kind of fear. I'll just jump off the cliff. And mm. so I continually did that. And I jumped off of that cliff into another one that led to another job that eventually led me into a full-time position at Sprint PCS right as they were launching the first mobile phone, which was really fascinating. Mm -hmm. um, it was like the 5,000th employee that they had gathered. They were literally hiring warm bodies. So that was total opportunity because I didn't have yeah. a degree, um, but I had the skill sets necessary. And so I went right into uh, managing a group of six people when I was 21. Okay. Um, hang on. Let me pause you for one second. Yeah. It, I mean, you got, so, there's so many pieces here that are amazing. <laughs> but this, idea of being able to jump off a cliff yep without a parachute right uh meaning jump into whatever the next project is or the the next thing that you want to work on um without the safety net mm -hmm. um but you also mentioned even your partner even having the uh the ability to bring the materials along to build it along the way can you say something more about that? Because I think one of the challenges that that people face these days is um, there are there are these things that they want to do. There are the projects, yes. the the businesses, all of these things that they want to get into, but there is there is not a way to be able to assess that risk. Yes. Or should I be jumping over? And uh, is it possible to build a parachute as you go down? And I, I think that's a there, there's almost there's almost been a shift in society where off people would do that a lot more readily and no one looked at it as a risk. It was just mm -hmm. part of life. Yes. If you were getting into business, whereas now uh, that's sort of missing. So can you say something about that ability to be able to jump off? Well, I mean, for me, it just it, again the fluidity of of I think the musical side of me because it's what you teach right now too, yeah. right? Well, it is because I really get people to understand the concept that no one there is no perfect business model. That if you take eighty percent of wait, your wait, focus, wait, got to time you out there. Yeah, you guys are watching. <laughs> I hope you caught that right. There no. is no perfect no business model. There is no perfect business model. There is 80% tenacity, go-getter, and drive, uh, and some well level of confidence and insanity that says, no matter what people say, I'm going to do it anyways. And then there's 20% of whichever model you choose to do, whether it be podcasting, if you're going to start an e-com company, if you're going to go out and, I don't know, start a car wash business or go start up a franchise. 
Yeah. The whole point is um, that's 20%. That's it. The 80% is literally you. It's your confidence. It's your clarity and understanding the business and expectations of the model. And it's your ability to communicate, sell, or drive the business so that others understand what the expectations are of you or their roles within the business. And we refer to those in the, in the world as a, objectives and key results. Do you know what the objective is? Do you understand the key results? If you do that, then you know how to apply that uh, to your time management, to the opportunity, and of course the focus, then you can do that model and be successful in any ways. I have people I know that are successful in all kinds of business models. What made them different than anybody else? They, they are tenacious. They chose, mm -hmm. they were okay with failing and failing fast. So that's part of that jumping off the cliff is I'm okay. I've hit the bottom a number of times. I mean, I, I've literally been divorced. I've been bankrupt. Uh, I have restarted companies. I've lo uh, lost great ideas. I've had uh, people steal money from me. I've been sued in business. Um, you know, I've hit the floor a lot of times. Um, the difference is I was tenacious enough or stupid enough, whichever side you like to look at it, to get up and keep going uh, and just decide that I wasn't going to give up. Yeah. Now... I guess what I'm curious in that is because you've been helping people build businesses for mm -hmm. so many years now. Um, how do you, are, are you able to teach that or does someone just have to have that coming That's in? Great question. Um, the answer is, again, it goes back to Prado's law a little bit because it's an 80-20. I'm, when I'm talking to people and looking to find out whether or not I can actually make an impact in their life, it isn't whether or not I believe that they could understand the, you know, the mechanics of selling with the business. It is do they understand business, right? Do they understand the expectations of business? Do they understand the time, uh, money, financial, emotional commitments uh, that are required to do that? Um, as Jim Good uh, said in the Good to Great book, or Jim Collins, excuse me, from the Good to Great book said, you know, are you willing to pick the rock up and look at the ugly squiggly things that are underneath it? Uh, those are one of the differences between the people that I choose to work with and offer their opportunity to mentor with us as we only do mentoring uh, or the ones who I just simply say, you're not a great fit. Right. Uh, and one of the greatest ways to test that out is when you say no to somebody, Neil, what happens? Um, when I say no to them in terms of to, to work together? If somebody is excited to be with you or come on or they want to be on your podcast and you say no, what, <laughs> what happened? Um, uh, yeah, usually they just, they just disappear. They, they just disappear. Off. Right. Yeah. So those people I will not mentor. Right. I, the ones that I look to mentor are the ones that come back. Right. Yeah. It's the end. That's literally what it gets down to. The ones that yeah. are not willing to take no for an answer because if mm -hmm. they understand that in business, there's a difference between K N O W and a yeah. no. And then there's a difference between a no and a hell no. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I have had to uh, I have had to fire an investor um, who, uh, you know, I don't know, he had eight million dollars. So he thought he should get special treatment. And, Most of us have to. Don't yeah, we all? And, and he's been <laughs> he's been chasing me for a couple of years now and right. keep, keeps coming back, keeps coming back, keeps coming back. Um, I keep saying no, because I gave him a second chance. And, uh, you know, and there was, there was no change. It, there was an entitlement. There was, you know, the world needs to fall at my feet. And, uh, and so that was a, what would you say? That's the hell no. That's the hell no. Yeah. <laughs> and it goes always. And it I'm really not working is with it, you. Move on. Go yeah, find well, someone it, else. it has to do with the aptitude of the person when it gets down to it. Are they, yeah. and have they faced things in their lives where they have failed Okay. And are have picked themselves up and in some capacity in their life, whatever it has been that they've brought to the table before we've even had a conversation about what we're doing, uh, have they had success and failures measurable? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I literally won't do business with people who tell me life is peachy and nothing has ever gone wrong with them. Yeah. Because I don't want the first major thing that's ever gone wrong right. in their life to happen on my time. Right. Right. Well, in, in this case, I, I'll say that this individual clearly had, you know, they've been through a lot. They've been had a lot of success. Um, but what they lost in somewhere along the way was 
the ability to treat people as human beings. So that, yeah, they, there's, there's a big problem with that. Right? There's the emotional part of that. And one of the things I was mentioning a minute ago and, and part of that answer was the emotional rejection that people feel. They feel yeah. that they are being personally rejected. Yeah. Not that you're uh, being rejected as a, a fundamental core of who you are. It is the concept that I reject the idea that you and I can do something together. Well, yeah. How dare you? I, it's like, yeah. you know, but the difference between and where you are here and why you do your podcast and why it's called Leadership to Wealth is to understand how do you surround yourself with people like my partner who I have the creative uh, creativity and flexibility to test new things, do new things and try new things. But I have a, has a very strong net around me now uh, who understands to let me do that. Yeah. They don't try to hold me back. Yeah. And you, okay. And if you look at the difference in the people, at least that you know who are successful, the ones that I know, they are surrounded by people who let them jump. Right. And right. It, people like Elion and others would not be where they were if there wasn't a support mechanism to be right below whatever they jump off of. SpaceX wouldn't exist after PayPal and after this and after Tesla and so on and so forth if there wasn't a grounded crew that literally sets right below him that yeah. ensures that other things get done. So you can't have two fundamental entrepreneurs with, you know, ADHD and type A personalities running a company. And I noticed yeah. that there's a lot of people that are attempting to do that. They think that someone else will pick up the difference for them in that leadership. And what you have to realize is that I'm willing to take 80% of the lead in the leadership and, and still fail and accept that mm. while giving other people their opportunity to become leaders in their particular area of focus and not get in their way or step on their on, on what they do very well. Right. Yeah. Um, and there's a trust and a respectful relationship to that. You do not get to whatever you define as wealth without that. Right. And wow. everybody coins the term wealth as a phrase of money. And I want to just like myself put that out here. Wealth is your health. Wealth is your family relationship. Wealth is your structure of your life. Wealth could be your location where you live. Yeah. Wealth could be having food at all in your fridge. Wealth could be having yeah. a roof over your head at all. Wealth yeah. is whatever you define it as, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Wealth is not and should not be the number one answer as a monetary or financial or fiscal gain. Yeah. <laughs> if it is, I will disqualify you. Right, right. I, I like to call it the Fs, the, uh, Fs. the faith, <laughs> the family, F finance, fitness. I even throw fighting in there because I like mixing Fighting is a good one. <laughs> and we throw out fear, right? Oh, um, because fear is being put up there at the top of those F's. And really, that's the F bomb, like because so many people do not understand that the to jump is not that I don't have some aspect of fear. Mm. It's that I'm feeling it and I'm doing it anyways. Wow. Well, okay, that's wait, a big difference. Wait. So I get to people who understand that that concept right there has nothing to do with whether you sell e-com or cars. Yeah. Or even if you do a podcast, it has yeah. to do with the fact that you're going to feel that fear and keep doing it until either the fear subsides or your support network helps you overcome any of those challenges you've been doing on your own as you grow out of that, right? Yeah. Fear, absolutely. Uh, there is, th this is really interesting that you would point this out because I literally just had this conversation with my daughter yesterday, last night, where we're, one of my daughters, my oldest, and we were talking about the difference i said what's the difference between me putting out uh a hundred pieces of uh content on social media and someone else who puts out one piece of of social media and um i said are the mechanics the same she said uh yeah but you're doing more i said yeah right but the, but the mechanic is the same right so i said so what's the what's actually the difference and i said it's the attitude about it, hmm. right? Mm -hmm. My judgment over it is, is so insignificant because I let other people judge my material that, but the person who only puts out one, they've, they, there's so much judgment in it that it takes them forever to put out that one piece of content. Yeah. And, uh, and I said, that really boils down to fear. And, uh, and someone will criticize you or reject what you did. Yeah. And on a fundamental level, you will have a hard time getting past that. And that is one of the bigger things that we work on as entrepreneurs every day, I think, because people think, well, you know, you're just doing great every week. Well, no, every week is not like that. It really is a up and down, sideways, spaghetti looking aspect of an emotional roller coaster ride of challenges that every business owner faces. And the ones that say they don't are lying. 
to sell you something, literally. Yeah. yeah. Well, <laughs> I mean, you just think of what you and I went through to even get this uh, this interview together. <laughs> I mean, this happening, and you got sick, yep. and I got sick, and you know, all all of this different stuff and scheduling right. conflicts, and and uh, and that's all part and parcel. And most people would never know any of the things that are occurring in the background. Yes. Sort of that that duck duck on the water. The feet are going crazy under the water. But up top, uh, everything looks fairly serene. Well, that's just it. We have to be careful not to fall into that. The two professional videos that make everything look great and the idea, the concept that there is no struggles and all this thing, all, all of my problems will be solved in a quick scratch and sniff mentality. I call it the lottery mindset mentality that we got going on where I can literally just scratch and sniff my way to wealth. Um, oh, about you things. mean it takes 12 months to build a business? Uh, no, I'm out. It's not 30 days. <laughs> no, no, it's not how it works. Um, the people who are selling you something that says it'll be done in 30 days, they're like six years into it. Um, mm -hmm. They didn't explain the rest of that. And I think the world is craving that transparency. Um, I feel it anyways. Uh, yeah. So my goal is to be transparent, you know, yeah. answer the questions, talk about the bad things too, not just the good things. Yeah. Um, because those are partly what define what I consider to be good now. What I thought was good previously is very different than the good I feel now. And it only came after a major failure uh, or a major bad thing. That is so interesting. I, I actually uh, I actually preach this as as uh, uh, some of my one of my secrets to success is I anyone that deals with me knows that I'm going to give them the worst case scenario. And I'm going to work from the worst case scenario. We, oh, well, what are the projected numbers? I'm like, those are fictitious. How about we look at what it's actually doing and look yeah. at that? And are we okay with that? Everything projected is bonus. Can we live with the this worst case scenario? Yeah. And, um, yep. We have that phrase in our hard. house that the girls have learned to say in any time they feel that anything's a challenge, it's what's the worst that can happen? Yeah. The question gets asked, what's the worst that can happen? Dad, I, I can't quite get this figured out. Dad, I don't know what to do here. Dad, I can't. Well, what's the worst thing that can happen? Yeah. Well, I guess, you know, it's, it's got a little dramatically funny now. It's like, well, I guess I could die. Well, yeah, I suppose yeah. that's one of the worst things that can happen. <laughs> okay, dad, so you're, from so, beyond you're that, so negative, Dad. <laughs> beyond that, what's the next worst thing that can happen? And, and they kind of work their way back up into realizing that it's sometimes it's over-exaggerated just a little bit. Um, mm. and, and so we have to ask ourselves, too, what's the worst that can happen? Uh, with my time, my energy, my money, uh, my situation, you know, can I do this other thing while doing another? What's the worst that could happen? Um, it's just a phrase that helps refocus uh, into looking at those things that we would normally or, or sometimes people like to push down. Um, you know, you don't want to talk about it. It could be looked at as badly or uh, here's an example, right? Because when I went through this um, I, and I had trouble with a financial situation with one of my partners one at one point, um, the worst thing that could happen, I thought at that point was the business would be ending and I'd have to go somewhere else. Well, it turned out I had to go bankrupt um, because of the situation with the the funds, the, the investor, uh, the way that it had been structured as a business and what they had been doing with that business. My lawyer literally said, you need to be indemnified down to your personal level. And the way you're going to do that is bankrupt yourself. And I'm like, oh, that sounds like fun. <laughs> So that was a strategic business move, but it's there and it's on my record and people will sometimes find it or they'll think that, hey, you know what? He went bankrupt. You can't trust that guy. Um, yeah. You know, he doesn't know how to manage money. He doesn't know how to do anything. Um, yeah. And the answer to that is, well, I certainly know how to do it a lot better now. Yeah. Uh, I certainly know how to trust certain people differently. And I've put in better safe, safeguards uh, and mechanisms to ensuring uh, that doesn't happen in business again, that I don't receive uh, or put myself into a position with partners where that could ever occur again. Um, and those lessons are just not taught. Those are learned. Yeah. They're learned and they're wow. taught. Okay. So I, I've got to dig into this one a little bit because you're speaking to someone who avoided all types of partnership for years, uh, two decades at least. I avoided all, all partnerships. If it meant a partnership, I refused to it. Now, I refuse to it, not for the smart reason of uh, <laughs> of worrying about assets and liabilities, uh, but rather because there was always a fear of uh, what if they take advantage of you or what if you do something wrong and then 
you know, now they're going to know, at least if you just do something wrong on your own, then you just fix it on your own. That's right. Um, and, uh, and so I can say that I had a deep seated fear for a lot of years uh, towards partnerships. And how did you, but you've been doing partnerships for so long mm -hmm. and uh, you've done them well, you've done them poorly. And yep. uh, what gave you that framework to be able to, to move in the world of partnerships? Well, I mean, honestly, the original reasons I even got into the concept of a partnership or joined hips with someone else was there was a fear that certain aspects of what they were doing, I couldn't do it myself, even poorly, like couldn't do it at all. Yeah. So it was fear-driven concept that this other person can somehow make up some major component of something I cannot do. Mm -hmm. uh, what I learned differently was to uh, position more uh, time and energy towards learning the things I didn't know uh, well enough to just be dangerous at it. Yeah. Like I don't need to be the accountant, but I need to be dangerous, like dangerous enough that I know the accountant who's doing uh, could do better, could do differently, or is taking advantage of situations or is just not taking advantage of situations. Uh, and so I've studied a lot more into the different areas where I felt they were weaknesses. Um, you've heard of a SWOT analysis. Some of those listening yeah. might know what that means, the strength, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. Uh, I tend to kind of go back and look at what those things are in terms of the relationships. And obviously I fell on some very hard and it was pretty easy to figure out where the threats were. Uh, what I didn't always correctly um, anticipate or I didn't correctly address was the opportunities. So how do you really offer, you know, how do you take an opportunity and address it correctly so you know the strengths and the threats and the weaknesses? Um, and that is actually one of the things that I've taught my people to understand better uh, and better as they do these business models. Uh, it doesn't have to require a partner. We actually have a phrase in our company is keep it all and keep it small. So if you're better at managing certain aspects of people's and uh you know timelines if you are better at objectives and key results you might not need a partner what you need is a lieutenant what you need is a very strong second and if you can give them very strong objectives and key results there may not even be a requirement to put them in you know what's called the operating agreement of your of your business you yeah. don't even need to write them into ownership or if you do there are smarter ways to do it there are ways to offer common stock and preferred stock and no stock at all, but voting rights. There's a way to offer them a percentage of earned buyout if they are a part of the company's success for long term. Mm. There are other ways to create, quote unquote, partnership relationships uh, that do not put the business in jeopardy of that person's inability to do something. And even in our own partnership now, we have certain things we've come to agree that no one spends money without the other one. Some partners will say, well, you can spend up to 10,000 or so. And if you do that, that's OK. We just made an understanding that, you know, no one spends money without the other person knowing about it. Right. But mm -hmm. in your respective lines of business, the, the longer we have been together, the less we question um, that yeah. what the other person needs to do. If, if, if he read comes to me and says, hey, I want to try this out. It's going to cost five grand. I'm like, go for it. Right. Because yeah. I have that level. Like, you know, it's an implicit level of trust now that we've gained through troubles. We didn't yeah. just work nine years straight. We had a couple of years where we didn't even talk to each other. <laughs> right. Because there, there's there's mess behind that, too. Right. I mean, there's pros and cons. And we both made some mistakes in different areas, but we came back together with more mutual footing. So I think the question then gets back to, to wrap that all around to do you really need a partner? And if you do, can you really address the specific strength, weaknesses or opportunities that person brings in? Or do you need to get them involved at all in the first place? And if you do, should it be more of a, a performance driven relationship? Should it have OKRs on it? Uh, should it even be a written business uh, proposal or a business um, relationship? Um, I think, again, people are looking for shortcuts and to just grab a partner and throw them in the business is really, yeah. in my experience now, an attempt to make a shortcut. Well, there's a there's a whole lot there. <laughs> to there's, there's a lot there. There is. Um, Go ahead. Sorry. I, I was I was just going to say that um, there we are inundated now. Uh, viewers are inundated now with this with people that are able to provide you coaching and programs and all of this kind of stuff and everything is perfect they've done from they've gone from zero from a hundred bucks in their pocket to six million dollars or or whatever whatever it is and um and they've done it without any hardships 
And uh, there is something refreshing about hearing the number of things that you've gone through, quite honestly, including divorce, mm -hmm. which you, you threw out there. Because, um, you, you know, I've been involved in a number of different areas, in, including relationship counseling. And I can tell you that um, a lot of people want to go to someone to get advice who has the perfect marriage. Mm. And, and I've said, no, typically you want to go to someone who has been through, uh, who's been through the storm because, and maybe done it wrong Yes, because they will, uh, they will actually know some of the pitfalls that are there. Um, as opposed to someone who's only, it's like the uh, fair weather sailor, right? Yes. Uh, sailor is only at the sail in, in good weather. They, they never build up those techniques or the, uh, or the nerve to be able to handle stormy seas. And so I, I really love what you're creating here in terms of just being prepared, whether it be partnerships, whether it be just business in general, being prepared for the worst yes. and, and understanding that that's going to be there and that's going to be part of the journey. Um, and and yet you are you're there as a mentor to try to help people navigate some of those things. Oh, absolutely. Knowing, we knowing don't always the road, talk about business. The road ahead. Yeah, we don't always talk about business. I mean, a lot of the times the conversations I have with my clients are related to life. Yeah. Uh, they're related to fears. They're related to concern. They're related to confidence. And am I making the right decision? And because I've already made the wrong decision in that area they're asking me about, I can in confidence say, this is the direction you should consider going. This is why yeah. you should consider it. Here's my own experience. If you're willing to listen to it and learn from it, yeah. uh, avoid the potholes, right? You know, avoid the mistakes in the money that I spent the wrong way. Avoid the mistakes and the time and energy and yeah, and avoid the mistakes that I've made in certain areas where I wouldn't allow other people in uh, to give me feedback, to give me personal uh, comments or and without taking it all in rejection and actually listening to it, right? And not listening in rejection as it is. Uh, and that's a big component. If I had done that, I wouldn't have helped crash my marriage. Uh, while it's easy for me to, to look at it and say, well, it's all her fault. And she may look at this and say, well, it's all his fault. I, I certainly know for myself, there are many things I could have done differently. Uh, there are many things I take ownership now in, which I now look back and see very easily. And hindsight is twenty twenty. Um, I can look at that and go, "Wow, yeah, you were an arrogant prick who was really <laughs> selfish and stupid and immature, and yeah, yeah. that was really dumb." Uh, and take ownership for that, right? Now, being married for almost fifteen years uh, with a with a wonderful wife um, and four daughters, we've still had our own struggles um, yeah. and we still had our own challenges, but. I did not deal with it in the same way the old guy would have dealt with it. Right, right. I, I, I love that. <laughs> I love that um, because really that th those are the variables of life. Yes. And, uh, and oftentimes we almost need someone to help us with all of those more business for, for the most part is, is not actually that difficult. It's yeah. balancing all the other things that come in and and try to distract you. Or should I do this? Should I do that? And you're going squirrels. You know, yeah, we call them squirrels around here, like squirrel. You know, squirrel. <laughs> right? There's squirrels everywhere. Uh, yeah. I think probably the thing that uh, I hear the most uh, is is for guys that are trying to do too much. They try mm. to. Hey, I'm okay. I I need to be good at this and this because then I can help more people. And and they and they're trying to advertise that they can do all of these things. Now I'm in the area of finance, so people are uh, they're always trying to uh, talk about all the different areas that they can do. Yes. And um, and I don't know. My advice is always so you do all of those things, maybe okay, but nobody knows you for anything that you do well. And uh, that you're the guy. Hey, regarding this, you're the guy. And yep. and uh, but when when you're talking about business and when you're teaching, do do you talk about niche marketing or uh, or are or is there some some other way to know when to to be a Walmart and and do everything? You know, we focus predominantly on brands and the yeah. brand, the concept of branding. Okay. Yeah. Um, and not everybody understands what that means, even though they may understand, say, Nike and Reebok and Coke and Pepsi. They don't quite understand uh, 
um, the brand or emotional affinity of it. So when we niche, it's typically in the brand um, that we're going after. Now that market would be, it could be evergreen, could be home, kitchen, sales, this kind of stuff. But the niche itself could be someone who's really passionate about bike riding. Um, not the kind of person who's willing to accept the $30 Chinese seat that feels like you're setting on a brick of steel. They're the kind of people who are like, I'll pay $89 for the gel cushion one with a hole in the middle that doesn't crunch and much my goodies. And because I love to go Pikes Peak, you know, riding and I used to do that. And, and so I didn't want the cheap crap and I wanted the good caliber brakes and I didn't want the cheap paneers. And there is a different level of different people with different affinities. And so we've always uh, looked into the market uh, and have been developing brands that are relational to that affinity seller. Right. It's mm -hmm. the more solution based oriented customer. It is I'm willing to pay for X and Y for the benefits I already know I should be getting. Uh, and they are more brand driven. So we we niche into the brands and from there we go down into the products. And one of the ways- Why, we, is, why is being brand driven important? Uh, at the end of the day, your your buyers are typically uh, only in it for what they want. You yourself <laughs> are in it for only what I want. So the brand is literally helping to validate that they are giving you exactly what you want because this, this is for me, this is what I want. It's the best thing here. And it may make me jump higher or run faster or be taller or go shorter or make me look better or more pretty or make me look more ugly. I mean, whatever it is, right? The, the point is there's a solution oriented and an emotional decision buying mechanism that is occurring behind that. And the phrase we have is double the understanding of your customer and you will double your revenue. So that comes from deep understanding of your brand in which once you identify a series of products that meets the solution, uh, as the fastest and best solution possible to fix their problem, you can continue to go into that brand deeper and deeper and drag customers into longer lifetime value with you, uh, who will then obviously tell others and continue to follow you along. Yeah. It takes a little bit more time to do that, but it is also the best way to create uh, cash flow. Uh, cash flow is king, as we know. Um, revenue is vanity. You've heard this right. Profit is sanity and cash flow is king. So yeah. oh, I haven't heard the first part, but <laughs> yeah, so the offer, yeah, man. So, so the cash flow king in e-commerce business, right, is the ability to obviously get, you know, paid continuously from the products you're selling from customers who are continuing to buy, who are coming back. And, and uh, we have ways of doing that inside of the, the marketplace in Amazon called subscribe and save, which you might be a part of in my house. We call it subscribe and spend. Um, because <laughs> you don't spend money, you, you save, that's kind of the concept, right? Um, so with all these ladies, we get these packages all the time delivered, but yeah, it's going down into that deep, um, and having a deep understanding of that brand and the, and the solution that that brand will solve for the customers that are within it. Uh, and then continuing to go deeper and deeper into that. How did you come upon that? You know, branding wasn't a really, uh, strong concept of mine. Uh, until I started running paid traffic. So one of the things I did online uh, when I was outside of the IBM sphere, I left them in 2007 uh, and set out into, to set up my own series of companies. I started as a management consulting company. Um, I had IBM literally hire me back to go fix the prog projects that were falling apart. And instead of the you know 50 bucks an hour they were paying me when I was there, they were paying me $250 an hour to come back and fix the problems. Of as a management consultant, and you put a management consultant in front of you, you can charge 250 to 500 bucks an hour. So I brought <laughs> a team along with me and I started into that. I had a high level management staffing team uh, for quite a while. And while they were busy on projects and we were subcontracting with IBM on a number of things, including the 2010 census project and stuff at Boeing and other uh, public and private stuff, I had a lot of time on my hands and I got back to the things that I originally left college for in the first place, which was to get to e-commerce. And so I yeah. started running paid traffic. Uh, and really, at that point, it was learning about why a customer buys and really getting into the brain yeah. power of a mass marketing customer identification. At that point, I chose mobile marketing. Uh, I was running traffic on literally uploading spreadsheets into the servers that were going out to the mobile networks because there was no web interfaces. So we were putting them in spreadsheets and launching campaigns and, and we were doing in, uh, dating apps and install things. And we hit a number of gold mines in places you wouldn't even imagine, like South Africa dating apps like took off like crazy. Uh, and so we were making it really fast and furious and starting to realize, you know, brand driven affinity uh, is a very powerful, obviously motivator for a purchasing mechanism. And that's when I decided I needed to get into the physical product space. Now I need to take that knowledge out of that, making all those leads and money for somebody else. I need to start branding my own products and really get into that. Yeah. And when I was in that fact finding phase in that research mode, while I was about ready to jump off the cliff, a friend of mine said, Hey, did you know you could sell on Amazon? 
And I said, I have no, is it like eBay? Because like, <laughs> I don't want to do that. Like, like, it doesn't interest me at all. Um, he's like, no, 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 it's not the same at all. Amazon literally has this system. It's called Fulfilled by Amazon. They'll handle the you know shipping and, and logistics all the way to the last mile on the customer. And I thought, oh, that's actually, that's kind of powerful. Um, so I started to find some products that weren't even mine yet and just start throwing it at Amazon uh, and just to see how it would work, how the engine would work. And come to find out it was an engine. And during my time at uh, IBM, we were learning to build latent semantic search engines. I got to work with the Watson computing team and Armonk which was great, learned about uh, human machine language learning and artificial intelligence and and how to literally get machines to predict customer reactions, which was cool because I got to be the dumbest guy in the room uh, listening to these guys go on about this and just trying to glean as much knowledge as I could. Uh, my job was basically to translate theirs into to the technical speak and into the business language um, and, and really define how that would look as an entire project, a program or a company. Uh, their job was to deliver the mechanisms. So when when I got to realizing that Amazon was a giant search engine, just like the ones we had been building in my IBM days, it clicked that this was a giant traffic mechanism. That's how I saw it. Um, it's just a giant traffic source. Um, it just, unlike Google, it was a product buying traffic source. Um, and Jeff Bezos made the mantra, you know, we're going to sell all things to all people in 30 seconds or less. And I thought, okay, you know, this is going to be interesting. So we took the concept of that, found out how it was working, used and kind of engineered uh, a product launch process that kind of helped get traction and, and traffic, uh, and then took branding that I had learned through that traffic and affiliate uh, marketing uh, and started to brand products into the marketplace. And from there, things just took off like crazy. Okay, I got to tell you how sexy this conversation is. Um, <laughs> hey, now, Neil, I'm a married man. Come on. Now. Um, yeah, well, <laughs> I am too, but, you know, um, uh, I'm extremely turned on at the moment. Um, by everything you said. <laughs> got yourself a business. Uh, <laughs> I mean, you, you just said uh, the words machine learning, and I got really aroused. Um, yes, I, machine learning, <laughs> fun times. But now, I, I selfishly have to say this just because... I know so little about it mm. and um, and I've been trying to learn about uh, these things. I'm like, man, there's so much. It's amazing to me having, you know, being being my age and watching the number of things come around, including watching the Internet come into play. Uh, I, you know, I remember learning programming uh, mm. as a as a kid on a pet computer. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, the Commodores we, and the Atari. We, and the... Oh, Commodore was like yeah. world ahead by that point in time. But, but I remember we've got it. We were able to get a, a line to do this. Make it. so. <laughs> we were like, wow, that was amazing. That was what the entire program did was make the line do this. You know, what got it for me was the green screen terminal inboxes of email. Like you could get someone to reply almost instantly while you know the green screen typing it in, hit I to get to your inbox. You remember the green screen email yeah, days? Yeah, yeah. Oh, I was yeah. like, oh my gosh, they replied already. Like this is incredible. I mean, those first times you do that, yeah. we take it so for granted now. But that was incredible. Yeah, I was uh, like, how did how does this? How how did it work? How did that? Do it was that? incredible to watch. Yeah, I I yeah. couldn't even understand it. But so now, as as you're talking about these things, and I'm like, wow, there are there are so many technologies that we know nothing about but they are going to so shape uh business e-commerce and you know just the the way that we yes i mean data management it, it can it can shape so many different things well uh, the thing of that is so you know while i had that technology background one yeah. of the things that tripped me up let's call it what it is um was the concept that the technology or mechanism would make me the money and i think yeah. there's a lot of misunderstanding about online businesses, um, maybe at certain age levels or not. I know I know the younger generations, if you will, 18, 30 year olds, if you will, are just like, hey, I get on YouTube or I get a gaming channel or esports or I get out there right now and I just put content into the world. Yeah, that's my mechanism. I get it. I hit record. I go. I can do it from my phone. I can make money. Like yeah. they understand that that's not terribly complex. Right. I don't need to know how the button works or how the system got there. None of that was. I mean, it's just right. like, go. So, so many people get caught up, I think, today in the real uh, mistake that um, the business of online money making is a mechanism. It is a mechanics. And that's how I make money. The more buttons I push or the more hours I work pushing that button, 
I will make more money. I, I envisioned at times mm -hmm. somebody sitting at a desk, just hitting the big red button a hundred times and looking up and going, Oh, look how much money I made today. And then setting down and slamming that button a bunch more times. That's not how it works, right? It, the, yeah. the mechanism can be taught to anybody and, and my virtual assistants uh, can do it. We have 14 and 16 year old kids that do it and are taught how to do it. They don't understand the concepts of the business and the parents and, and people come in and they, they do. And we teach them how to understand the business because the mechanics are not what makes the money. It is understanding the customer and the mechanism we chose to incubate that understanding was Amazon's FBA system because it's got 200 million people now, uh, almost 10 years later, 200 million people a month going through it, 628 million a day. It's a lot. Okay. I don't need to understand where they're coming or what buttons are pushing to get there. I just need to understand that they're there and I can put my, you know, lemonade stand on that seven lane highway and put up my good offer and off we go. Right. Wow. Okay. So, so the question is, this is what you do in your mentoring. You, you try to, show people how they can how they can build businesses through um through amazon um business mm -hmm. Wait, I, I forgot fba it's called fulfilled by amazon, fulfilled by amazon that's it. <laughs> yeah it's that's okay it's a yeah. mechanism that basically allows us to not have to have a warehouse yeah um, we don't staff any employees and we don't hand what's uh, called handle the last mile to the customer the products by amazon shipping and logistics and inventory manages that um, our product gets sent into their warehouses they're picked and, and shipped to the customer from there so our job really is to understand the customer branding and product and do the marketing yeah. um, so it really has nothing to do with pushing the buttons uh, mm -hmm. at the end of the day. And so what we teach people is to understand first and foremost, the business. We are business builders. That's what we've done. It's what I've talked about all day here is yeah. we build businesses. We chose e-commerce as a mechanism based on experience. And we chose that platform to focus on because it had traffic and people who were buying things in 30 seconds or less. Yeah. And that is one of the biggest problems all online people face when they're trying to make money is getting eyeballs on the offer. Well, right. Amazon solved that problem. And it solves it for people who are who understand how to take advantage of it. There's a lot of traffic, a lot of buyers, and it's you know they're making as much right now as they were making last year before the holiday season. So I can we can only imagine what's going to happen in the next two months here uh, as we wrap into this year's holiday season. It's demand is becoming incredible. Um, so we literally teach people how to run the business by the numbers. We teach them how to learn what the hell to sell because that's always the first question everyone else asks. You know, what do I sell? Um, it's actually really easy when you go through a process, uh, a numerical data-driven process uh, that has to have the numbers make sense. The numbers have to make sense at the product profit line, uh, mm -hmm. the net profit. They have to make sense so it rolls to the brand and the brand rolls to the PL and the PL rolls to the business. It has to all make sense. And so you got to really understand what's profitable. And many people don't do that when they get started in this business model. I, I coach many people who have failed uh, or took other courses or programs or these kinds of things, took a YouTube or whatever and got out of their own and find out, you know, they're making 50 cents for every unit sold. And they're like, well, how are you making 35, 50, $75 in profit for every unit sold? And I'm mm -hmm. saying, well, let me show you how you do this by the numbers. Mm -hmm. So we go for a very different look at the market um, as that cliffhanger joke a minute ago, jumping off, you know, without a parachute. We don't marry any of our products. People get so in love with their product concept. Um, call it my divorce analogy or whatever. It's don't marry a product, steal someone else's girlfriend instead, because there are plenty of girlfriends inside of Amazon. You can steal away, right? It's still married, just borrowing an analogy. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so there's so many products in Amazon already that tell you that they're already selling. You don't have to guess. They're already there. You have to do what we call innovate. Um, similarity and famili familiarity, that's a fun word, familiarity, equal trust. Amazon system of trust, I can build up a brand that no one's ever heard of and topple the other four brands that no one's ever heard of and make a $100,000 a month business in six months or less and repeat that mm -hmm. process predictably every time it goes to market, right? Mm -hmm. So we have 90 day run rates and quarterly, if you will, and we've got annual run rates of expectations. We don't marry them because we know that certain products have life cycles. They'll only go so far. We'll replace them with another test product. And if that one goes great, we scale it and we keep going. We use a baseball analogy, right? A few, you, you know, baseball to some degree, if you know you hit 300, that means for every 10 You're amazing. times at bat, <laughs> you failed seven times. Yeah. 
And yeah. you still can get in the Hall of Fame. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, in baseball, absolutely. Yep. So in e-commerce, it's the same way. Right. Okay. So you look at it in terms of not every product is a winner, but every product has an opportunity for me to learn which one is the winner. Yeah. And as I find that winner, it will scale itself for you when you do it the way we do it inside the system. It will literally move into what we call Amazon's slipstream. It's kind of like the combination lock. You kind of turn it once to the left, you turn it back to the right, you turn it and click, it unlocks. Amazon's system is similar. Yeah. When you get your product in the market, you're going to turn the clock a little you know, to the right this way. You're going to hear it click. Okay, now I'm going to go back to the left. It still clicked. By the time you get into that slipstream and unlock that, Amazon will send you enormous amounts of buyer traffic. Mm. Um, but people overcomplicate that too much, right? And they get too much caught up in the mechanics and not enough in why did that product even, even reach that point in the system in the first place? And it literally had to do with my product, my message, and my brand resonated by best with my co customer avatar who understood in 30 seconds that my product would be their solution. Wow. Which means my conversion rates inside of Amazon are incredibly uh, different than a standard website conversion online store. Right. That's one to 3% conversion rates. We see 30 to 50% conversion rates on our listings and products inside of Amazon. Wow. So our goal is then to find multiple versions of those products. So we find five products that finds another five products and we continue that process looking exactly at each number and only launching the product if it reaches the right metrics. Mm-hmm. And then you continue to it. test that out so that in a year you can have a hundred SKUs. You can have a hundred SKUs, you do 5 million a month. We've proven that in our case studies with other stores who did that with us and got to right. a million a month and then 5 million a month. It's just a process and it's data driven. So it, we teach people how to understand that, understand the business really first uh, and be the business manager and the fiscal manager and understand the people and the, the things you need to do in the business to really make it run and, and mm. the things you, you know, activities, masters, productivities, you got to shove those aside uh, because you think you may be making money, but really you're just looking like it. You need to be focused <laughs> on the revenue generating activities, the RGAs, only focus on those. So total yeah. accountability is one of the ways we help people get to seven figures. Uh, is we push them to stay in the line. We keep their blinders on. Yeah. Uh, and that gives people a much higher success rate um, to understand the business and the model and continue to repeat the process of testing. We are we know the market, but we're still not smart enough to tell it what it wants. <laughs> we are smart enough to be quiet, shut up, sit down and listen and have it tell us what it wants. Right. And when it right. tells us what it, it wants, we have a couple of ways of asking it. Are you sure? Are you sure? <laughs> and if the answers come back, yep. Yep, for sure. Then it's like that product can go very quickly. And from you know zero to six months inception can have a $100,000 a month business running. That's on a predictable growth and trajectory of growth rate. Um, that's kind of an expectation. If it doesn't meet those certain metrics, what do we adjust? What do we change? Because right. we're building that parachute, right? So, so I got to ask then if, I mean, if someone's watching, how do they know that, hey, this is, this is something I should be looking into. Like this is well, for me. Cause I, yeah, I hear lots question. of people that talk about, yeah, I'm interested in e-commerce, but uh, it sounds like you, you not only know who you're, uh, who you're looking for when yep. you're helping someone build a business, but it, it probably sounds like, you know, who you're able to help mentor. Well, people typically that work with me, uh, just to give you some examples of who they are, um, they're people who really understand that if I got 10 to 15 hours a week, I can make this business work in the next 12 months that yeah. I understand the concept of almost automated income. Everybody jumps to passive income. It doesn't really appreciate almost automated income. And that is, you know, if I work 10 to 15 hours a week and I'm making more in a month than some people make in a year, do, am I happy with that? Um, and most people would say, yeah, I am. So almost automated income is just as good. Can it be made passive? Absolutely. But that's not necessarily the first goal. When or should it be of someone who really understands business? They understand in six to 12 months, uh, there are opportunities for me to automate components of this business model once it's fully matured and running and, and is moving. They also understand every business is worth more in the end uh, when you sell it than at any time during the business building phase. That They know it in 12 to 18 months, they could sell these businesses for three to four times the profit. And that really is the opportunity. That is what we call our platinum principle. Uh, so people also understand diversification of money, putting money to work for you. Don't put your soldiers in the bank, get them out there. 
if you feel that Wall Street is too risky, try a Wealth with Wall Street uh, alternative. Um, maybe consider infinite banking or e-commerce or some other way to deploy that or Airbnbs or short-term rentals, but don't just let it set in the bank. Yeah. Uh, put it to work. And those types of people typically understand that they may be even doing it. They maybe even have multiple franchises like some of my clients, but they're looking for a way to deploy that capital. And they like the concept that this is both virtual, which is the Amazon's marketplace and channel, but it's also physical inventory that they're purchasing. Yeah. So it's not an intangible asset, right? Yeah. It has a tangible aspect to it. It has inventory yeah. uh, and they have control over brand, which brings us to the last parts of this, which are the intellectual property. What's that business actually worth? Uh, it's worth the components of the intellectual property. It's the trademarks. It's the brand. It's the, uh, you know, it's its registration on Amazon's system for brand registry. All of those components, including the products and manufacturing supply chain, have intrinsic value to the business. Um, you need to, to be able to put those things in place and understand how to do that, uh, from the very beginning, thinking with the end in mind yeah. and my business builders typically understand that because they've done it in other aspects of business already. Right. right? So they may never have done e-commerce, but they may have ran an accounting practice for 25 years successfully. They may have, you know, been in, in a multiple Chick-fil-A franchise solution or run nine subways. <laughs> they understand the concepts of that, uh, diversification of capital and that e-com is just one area that they can explore uh, to literally help me in a franchise-like model uh, without the ownership or the uh, profit requirements, um, help them do it. Um, and my big evil capitalistic goal is if I teach them every component to avoid and everything they should do, that business is worth a lot. And I'll take it to my buyer network and we run a brokering M&A. So when they build those businesses up, everybody wins in the end. And that's one of the ways we work with our clients. Wow. So, so what's, uh, what's next for, for you guys right now, you know, we're continuing to expand the, the portfolio side, the M and A and brokering relationship side to continue yeah. to open those doors for people who are close, but not quite there. Uh, they don't quite understand things of like, uh, upside, uh, potential. They don't understand operational independence yet. Uh, we help them focus on some of those things and, and to continue to grow those up. Uh, really what's next for us is to continue to sell brands. We have one out for sale right now. Uh, continue to grow our own um, and just continue to um, work in a in one of the fastest growing markets still a double digits in the last 24 months in e-commerce um, bank of america forrester research says 21 trillion is coming online by 2030 so we're going to continue to launch products and brands <laughs> that's what we're going to continue to do wow love it <laughs> love it. I, I'm, I'm sure we could have gone down the road of any one of those aspects and we didn't really even go down the road of, uh, of exiting, which. No, that's uh, another whole topic. <laughs> yeah, that it really is. And, yep. you know, it's probably the, the most important one. Um, because like you said, it, you, you've got to, uh, whatever you do, you got to do it with the end in mind. Right. And, uh, and oftentimes I've told people this many times, um, you know, because every, anyone can tell you how to put your money into something, but do you know how you're going to get your money out? And do you have more than one way of getting your money out? And, uh, and I've seen many people fail because they'll, they'll put their money into something and then they don't know how to get it out. It's stuck in there and they've watched it dwindle away. So I, I would love, I mean, that's definitely a conversation for us to, to have in the future. And, um, mm -hmm. Wonderful. I'd love to have you back on the show at some point and talk about yeah, that. I'd love to do that. Okay. Well, thank Thanks you for having me. Uh, it's been a pleasure. Wow. Uh, yeah. Any any uh, final words that uh, that we should we should share with people? Oh, how do they get a hold of you? Oh my goodness, how did we miss that? Oh yeah, we can talk about that. Uh, I would say you know if if fear or the idea or concept that you may not be able to do some of these things in business or you struggle with the concept of just getting started, you have to remember that you've already failed if you didn't start at all in the first place. Right. All right. So if you consider, well, what if I start this and fail? The the problem is not the business model. It is you like, let's call it straight up because you haven't even started it. You've already failed. So the concept that you start it and fail is actually backwards. Right. The second component is if fear is holding you up at all, I'd recommend the book Feel the Fear and Do It Anyways by Susan Jeffries, um, which is a great book that will take you through some mental exercises. Uh, on how to continue to move past certain points of fear or questioning you may have in any aspect of your life, not just business. 
so I would encourage you guys to take a look at that. And final thing, and is you know, to give you some insights, um, good to great still has very relevant understandings of business and concepts. Jim Collins was, uh, you know, his group, and and I think they just foretold the future uh, in terms of so many concepts of that business that we are missing in certain components of, of businesses today that I think we need to bring back and or or learn those lessons that were taught very well in that book. So I'd recommend those definitely to people who want to get some insight today uh, on some of the topics we talked about. Um, finally, you can go to voltagedm.com uh, and check out what I'm doing, V-O-L-T-A-G-E-D-M.com, voltagedigitalmarketing.com. Uh, there's a free little video. I have a conversation with Kevin Harrington, one of my partners on there. Uh, we talk about building businesses and what it takes to do that. It's about a 48 minute or so just overview and goes into some of the details of the way we do with the business model. Uh, you're welcome to check that out. It's a free resource there. And of course, any of the media links and just Google my last name. Like we were joking about earlier. Uh, most people spell it back to me, TWA. Uh, it's, it's not the airlines. No, I don't own it. And there's a whole nother story of trouble I've had dealing with that last name. Um, but if you Google my name, you'll find my LinkedIn or Facebook. You'll see who I am. Uh, you'll see what I'm about. And you're more than welcome to connect with me in any mechanism that makes sense to you. Love it. Well, guys, uh, you've been watching the Neil and Neil show. Uh, here on the Leadership to Wealth podcast. Uh, Neil, it. thank you so much uh, for coming on, for Thanks sharing for having that. Me. I, man, you really have, uh, you condensed probably an entire workshop into, into this amount of time. That, that was amazing. Thank you. And, um, you know, guys, definitely look them up, uh, check them out. And uh, if you're thinking about business, if you're thinking about e-commerce, make sure you do your due diligence. And uh, there Always. is, a lot of value in learning from someone who's already been down the road and made mistakes and uh, can help you navigate that those minefields. So, so Neil, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you, Neil. It's been a pleasure. All right, All right guys. <laughs> we'll see you guys later. Take care. <laughs>